0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 357 reggae wars in berkshire it's all kicking off the future of pop music and how daft are rolling stones fans you can have your own empirical measures here it's all coming up after Susie and the banshees and christine
1: Now she's a turtle Disintegrating Christine The strawberry girl Christine Banana with light and Christine The strawberry girl Christine Sees her face is uncertain
2: quite a lengthy hiatus from the world of music i was thinking mm-hmm. it, it would be good if she wrote an autobiography in the same vein as you know tracy thorne or viv oh, yeah
0: absolutely i think that would be brilliant
2: i'm sure she's you know got a, a story or two worth telling
0: right oh, several hundred i think
2: yeah one of 18 top 40 singles that reached mm-hmm. number 22 in 1980 for Susie and the banshees and christine
0: it's easy to forget how successful they were, really, isn't it? I mean, 18 top 40 hits, I had no idea. And the, the funny thing is, I think they're, they're rather well viewed now, but they seem to be forgotten for a few mm. years. I had an English teacher at school, at secondary school, with whom I was very fond, and she was a huge fan of Susie and the Banshees. And hardly anybody knew who they were. They really yeah. did seem like a kind of a cult act at that point.
2: Yeah, I I think so, you know, rather forgotten in in recent years, but having been on a hiatus and and essentially just disappearing from the world, it was fair enough if that's what uh, she and they want to do. absolutely. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council, it's episode 357. I'm Terence Dackham and back from a wild week visiting cheese shops in Suffolk, it's Juliet
0: Harris. Absolutely. Hello. I have you know that I went to a brewery as well, although unfortunately, (laughs) because I was with my family, I wasn't Mm. able to take part in the gin tour, but I'm hoping there'll be another time for that. (laughs) Hello, everyone.
2: George, there's there's been an incident. Well, Uh,
0: inevitably, there usually is, but there always is when I go away, so I need you to to, to update me as to what's happened when I've left you for an hour. Well,
2: I need you as a sensible woman to arbitrate and let me know if I'm guilty of the most heinous cultural appropriation.
0: Well I'm enjoying your application of sensible woman very much so let's let's see what we can do.
2: Well this week I was with two friends in a pub in Sonning in Berkshire. Which Uh, sounds
0: very pleasant indeed I'm surprised there was an incident in such bucolic surroundings.
2: That is exactly part of the problem because it was the last thing that was expected. Mm -hmm. I had a glass of orange juice one of my friends had a coffee the other had a pot of tea it was like three men in a boat except we were on dry land. (laughs)
0: You really were raving, weren't you? Really? I just should have come on the gin tour with me maybe that would have made things a bit easier
2: really on the wild side of life we really were yeah three um, white mature blokes that's relevant the white bit's relevant three white mature blokes not drinking just we were just talking quietly uh, Mm. about reggae music this was the thing and I I yet again I mean inevitably I told my story of um, driving up to Capital Radio in 1980 just to shake hands with Bob Marley as he Mm. came out of the studio I've told that a million times on this podcast but my my friend Paul topped my story um by unexpl- I've known him years but he unexpectedly oh. topped the story by revealing completely unknown to the other two of us that in about um 2007 to 2010 he lived next door but one to Gregory Isaacs mm. the cool ruler of reggae legend and um it was rather unlikely, but this living next door but one business was in Harrow Weald in north london mm. but anyway we 're just chatting. my friend uh, you know Paulie expressed some sort of sadness of how Gregory Isaacs was clearly very unwell at the time, I and mean, he died about a year later um, he, Gregory Isaacs, he had no teeth. And was often wandering around looking quite dishevelled in the street. Oh,
0: yes, I can imagine. Yeah, well, we were just saying
2: how sad this was. When we noticed two women at the next table becoming kind of agitated. Mm. And um, they two, two white women, again, it's relevant mm-hmm. to the story. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the women stood up and said, turned to us and said, not only had we stolen her country, but that she had to fight to liberate. I remember her words. She also said... Um, I think she meant Jamaica, but I'm not sure. But n- now she said we were stealing their music too. And at first we sort of smiled, thinking she was joking or mm. some sort of comedy thing. But she was serious and she ranted on. So we did a typically British thing because um, other people were staring. So we picked up our drinks and went outside... Mm. And then drank our drinks quickly and left after a couple of minutes. You know, sort of British thing to do. But Absolutely, But the th- yes. thing is, Jules, what well, I want to know, did she have a point? Am I culpable for the sins of the former British Empire? And should I keep my nose out of music that originates in other countries and cultures?
0: Well, I do feel that they should perhaps keep their nose out of other people's <laughs> conversations. Yeah, I mean, the I, I, that's sort of where I am on this. I'm very puzzled by mm. this incident. It leaves you with a lot of questions. Why, What it is about this woman that makes her <laughs> feel that she is, you know, qualified as an arbiter on this sort of thing. I mean, you, you, you say that they're white women. They wow. were. I, I find it very odd that she thinks that Jamaica is her country, if you see what I mean. If indeed she did mean Jamaica. Um... Unless, of course, she we're going from the, uh, I mean, had she not gone on about the cultural appropriation hmm. thing after that, when she said, you've stolen our country, I might have marked her down as a oh, white supremacist. That is very, thing. Yeah, that's yes. very upset about the idea. But to then say, oh, cultural appropriation. I don't know. This is the people are very odd, aren't they? They get some very strange ideas into their heads, and I think that 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 people that start off as very sort of well-meaning, um, you know, because sort of, because I do see the idea of culture appropriation sometimes, and actually I. I I'll tell this story here because I think it's Mm. relevant. Ages ago, Terence is always telling me off for this off air. Mm. I always uh, take on a number of new projects. Yes, I know. Don't don't, not now, Dad. We do a number of projects, and one something that I was interested in doing. I I met a singer ages ago, and and she did an interview on my radio program and we got on quite well and she had her own show at one point on Resonance in London Mm. and she sent me some contacts because I decided I wanted to do a show on Resonance and Something that I had in—I was going to do a show about African music, which I really love, and I was going to call it "Jump to the Afrobeat," I think. And I was—I was going to investigate a different country each time. But I started to become kind of aware of the conversations that were going on online around cultural appropriation, and I think that lots of people should be asking themselves this question. I—I I asked myself two questions, which is, am I the best person to do this, and am I taking up space that someone else? That would be better to do this can do this and in the end I came to the conclusion that a, a white middle class woman that had to research things was perhaps not the best person to talk about African music and then there might be other people of different ethnicities that, that might be better qualified so I decided not to do it on the basis that I did feel that I was straying into cultural appropriation by talking about the history I was straying into cultural appropriation kind of land so I do get people's concerns over that but I find it very strange that you are hectored by this white Mm. woman in a pub about you know cultural progression when you weren't basically saying you know oh do you know what I'm going to start my own record label and I'm going to produce reggae music and it's only going to be by white people and I won't let anyone from Jamaica on my, my reggae Music, uh, record label, you weren't doing anything like that at all. You were just expressing, you know, love for reggae music and the fact that one of your friends happened to live next door to a reggae legend. I do, I do find it very strange, and and mm. you know, I it doesn't sound like anything you said warranted that sort of reaction. Really, I I think mm. that people there is such a thing as people being overzealous. I think, and I think there are you know call out cultural appropriation where it does genuinely seem to be happening, but equally. You know, don't become paranoid. Don't fight imaginary dragons that aren't there, really. It's all very its all very strange.
2: It was a startling experience. I thought about it um, a couple of times this week because it, it really – it was just so out of the ordinary. That sort of thing doesn't normally happen to me. And, I, I, you know, I thought, do I have any responsibility for Gregory Isaacs who I don't think I've ever met, you know, indulging <laughs> himself in crack cocaine and losing all his teeth? Am I to blame – for the British, uh, what, expansionist policies of the 18th and 19th centuries. Mm-hmm. I know, Maybe she had a point, but this is, you know, this, of course, Jules, is why I don't go out so much these mm-hmm. days. I well, just, I, I,
0: I, <laughs> trouble does seem to follow you around, whether or not you're going to sculpture parks. Oh, or just, indeed. A lot seems to happen to you, and I, I am... Sorry for it, but also beginning to wonder why it is that trouble follows you round. But anyway, I'm sorry that you had this experience. Well,
2: I certainly won't be returning to that pub by the Thames at Sonning in the the (laughs) near future. The future of pop music. That's a big subject, but don't worry. We'll condense it down to about 10 minutes.
0: We've got this, guys. It's fine. It's fine.
2: (laughs) We're, We're all over it. That's right after Courtney Barnett.
0: I really like this. I've been such a fan of Courtney Barnett for ages. I think she's brilliant. I had the pleasure of seeing her live in Brighton a few years ago, and she was great then. She's got that kind of australian rhinus down pat i think she's she's brilliant and she she uh, seems to compulsively tell the truth when she plays when she sort of plays her songs and this is from her latest album which has literally just come out i think in the last month called tell me how you really feel and the uh, the tune is called nameless faceless and whatever she does i just really like it
2: there's a great line in that track um it, it goes i could eat a bowl of alphabet soup and spit out better words than you
0: Mm, it's, 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 and it's and it's it's her response to um online trolls which uh, i think right. is great david
2: finnegan is an interesting writer he brings um elements of science and, and mm. theater into his articles and this week he's written a piece for the futures center about the future of pop music with some fascinating thoughts and insights uh predictions Many people have uh, have talked and written, of course, in recent years, about, oh, about the long tail. It's been argued that musicians, especially with the rise of Spotify, no longer should rely on big, short-term wins in, in, in terms of musical success, mm. but aim for long-term income and progress and, and therefore longer careers. Well, Finnegan says this isn't actually happening at all. In fact, he says that 77%... Of all profits in the music industry last year were accumulated uh, by 1% of the artists, which is an extraordinary statistic. So uh, the big hits are bigger than ever. Uh, Finnegan also believes we will see a future in music where pop songs will be composed by algorithms, will be produced by teams of people and will be completely depersonalised, acting as advertisements linking you to other purchasing options in life. Where do you stand on this, Jules? Is is this simply natural progression? Or is it some sort of a dystopian nineteen eighty four style nightmare for music lovers?
0: Well, I, I'm inclined towards the latter. I mean, mm. I, I really liked this David Finnegan piece. I thought it had some really interesting mm. things in it. The thing that I, enjoy, I probably enjoyed slash was scared of the most was he talks about um, a, a programme called Deep Bark, which is um, an, an um, I can never pronounce Algorithm. it. it's algorithmic, that's it, programme that uses machine learning to analyse Johann Sebastian Bach's compositions, and then it produces its own variations, and the results are apparently so convincing that many people can't distinguish between... God. Between deep bark and the real thing, which is a bit a bit frightening. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, yes, I I don't like the idea that you know this kind of ultra cynicism, really, of you know piling people upon people on hits. The idea when he talks about the big artists having hits, he also talks about this kind of move towards the uh, the pop posse cut, as he calls it, which is basically loads of people on one record so he talks about calvin harris um his album in 2017 which is called funk wav bounces volume one which is not the most in- inspiring <laughs> name ever um and it's an album which has 21 celebrity appearances on it and every song has at least two or three guest features and i think the idea is it's a bit like throwing dung at a wall isn't it really oh well you know the more people we lump onto this track someone will recognize somebody on this track and you are kind of hit it's the ultimate bet hedge isn't it really uh, that talks about, to a lesser extent, Lady Marmalade, which was produced by a sort of a a super group of Lady Marmalade, Little Kim, uh, sorry, Lady Marmalade's tune, Little Kim, uh, Christina Aguilera, um, Maya, and Pink. And the idea is that, that by appealing to fans of four different people, hopefully, you are then you know giving your 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 record four times. Not sure if that's correct or not. I suspect it might not be. But anyway, I I think it's that side of it is you know ultra cynicism. But the thing that gives me hope mm-hmm. is that. Whenever you end up with a, a, a pop music culture that is kind of dominated by one particular thing, it's human nature. And aside from the fact that is being produced by robots, I think as long as there are still free thinking humans in the world, it's always human nature. Or the nature of some humans to react against the the order of the day. That's how we got punk. That's you know that's how we get mo- how we've got most alternative kind of music movements. That's how we got sort of C 86 and all that sort of stuff by reacting against the mainstream of the day. And actually, you know, we had the X Factor culture that rose in the the two thousands and the twenty tens. But you know, we still got things like grime, for example, mm-hmm. reacting against that. So we might well end up with this kind of a logarithmic, a uh, kind of you know dominated pop. But I do have faith that eventually all the time that you know we do remain free thinking that people might turn around after a while and go well do you know what I'm going I want to create my own thing I don't think we'll ever quite be able to squash the creative spirit of humans I hope not anyway and that there'll always be someone out there that goes you know this is so boring I think I'm just going to go into my own little studio and just play something that I really like so I would hope that that it doesn't entirely sort of squash independence
2: Another part in his piece that really interested me, and I can see I can actually see this could really happen uh, mm. david Finnegan he also comments on how we may not even need to physically see performers at a live gig in the sense that um digital holograms are becoming more and more Mm. lifelike and apparently I I, this story passed me by I didn't know this but ABBA uh, yeah
0: yeah, I didn't realize this yeah
2: going on tour next year 2019 but entirely as holograms and um, Benny Anderson said it it, uh, was quoted as saying we can be on stage while I'm walking the dogs I don't even have to leave my house and it may be we have to get used to this new way of experiencing events i'd, I'd had heard recently that elton john over the last year has, has already been recording visual and visual and oral pieces that will be transferred into holograms and virtual reality experiences for when he gives up touring um, which I think is this year, and also, of course, for generations to come to when he's you know, no longer with us, um, a, a company called Spinifex. They've been working on an experience where you wear a VR headset and you see and mm. hear, in this case, Elton John, through his career from the troubadour in the 1970s to the Elton of today. And I think the particularly interesting part is they've only got like little snippets. I think they are um, little tiny few seconds of film here and there mm. and some st- stills yet from that they can recreate a a full performance at the troubadour in the 1970s so you know it's getting really quite peculiar perhaps a little bit um, unnerving it's all a bit sort of brave new world but as i say perhaps we have to all come to terms with our future
0: Well, I I would, I would, I would still use my previous sentiments, which Mm. is that I think that, you know, we, we enjoy, I think, going to watch live music because Mm. we're going to watch something that we can't get on the CD. I mean, if I go to see a band, it's because I want to see them playing, you know, I could listen to a CD at home. The most exciting moments when you see someone play live are where things, you know, might go a bit wrong or they're not, they're not like you would get on the record. So I went to see PJ Harvey, who's regular listeners, now I'm very, I'm very keen on. We went to see, I went see her with my friend Adrian at um, Brixton Academy, I think, and it was... Either last autumn or the autumn before, I can't remember now. But she was she was still touring um, the Hope Demolition Project, her latest album, and she performed a show which I'd seen all I'd seen it on television at Glastonbury, and so I I thought, well, I'm not sure if you know. After I after the gig finished, it was great, but I thought I don't need to see the show again. But the thing that that I will always remember about it, which is so fun and which inevitably someone then put up on YouTube, was that she sang a song called River Anacostia, and it. It's extremely difficult. I know it seems daft to say that, really, but it is a very difficult song. It starts very high. And she sang the first line and got something caught in her throat and coughed oh. and completely fluffed the first line and and sort of laughed a bit and then sort of turned around and, and you know, composed herself and then sang the song again. And when she managed to sing the first line in complete, completely, lots of people cheered and mm. she kind of waved a fist in the air and laughed and yeah, we, we thought it was very telling that she was so sort of self-effacing about it I, she, she didn't seem to take herself seriously at all and it was very enjoyable but it's moments like that that you know are so fun because you don't you don't get those on a record It's you're, you're getting a unique experience and also I think we like going to them because it's actually really nice to sit in a room or stand in a room with or in a field with people that are going for the same shared experience really and I know that you don't lose the communal experience mm. if you're all watching a hologram but I think the reason that we like live music is that we are and why Live music is the part of the music industry that seems to make the most money at the moment. And that seems to be the healthiest part of the industry rather than sort of physical sales. We obviously go because we like the experience. And, and we like, I, I would like to think that we like the idea of there being someone there performing for us. And as well as interacting with each other in the crowd, we are sharing an experience with the person that's performing. So I don't think that will be lost. And I think, again, like I said previously, if we even do get to a stage where you know holograms are the norm i do think that eventually there'll be a reaction against that because there must be a reason at the moment why the shared live music experience is still so popular
2: well speaking of the live experience the rolling Mm. stones are touring again they've been in london yes
0: lock up your grannies yeah
2: (laughs) but how stupid are their fans um that's next after was not was
3: big attorney through the courtroom down to hell he journeyed bar headed piece of garbage that he was (laughs) bad bad boy
2: eccentric group from uh, Detroit they released this track as a single three times in the 1980s it was as they uh, you know as they say a a radio hit but Mm. um, it didn't trouble the charts was not was and out come the freaks
0: now that's not a name that I have heard of in many many years I wonder whatever happened to was not was it's it's it's, that they've seen so much of their time
2: yeah very much so um I did, I did a quick check this week. They, they've, um, as with so many bands of that era, they kind of went uh, quiet, p- broke up. They're a duo, essentially, got back together again. And they are uh, a, a current unit at the moment, so I think they're, they're still tootling around, but uh, certainly their, their period in the sun was the 1980s.
4: Mm.
2: I have to ask the question... How challenged are people who attend gigs these days? And (laughs) (laughs) there there is peculiar behaviour at gigs. I've mentioned before that when I went to see Carol King at um, Live at Hyde Park two years ago, and how there was an enormous mountain of fold-up chairs at the entrance cases people abandoned them when they weren't allowed in this was because all of those people had failed to read the information on their tickets on the website Mm. uh, that taking seats in wasn't permitted Uh, now we turn to the the rolling stones whose apparently uh, never-ending tour arrived in london this week Uh, many newspapers this week have carried pictures of half-empty stadia, particularly during Support Act, uh, Liam Gallagher, Liam Gallagher mm. set. Because, once again, people didn't bother reading the instructions, which clearly stated, for security reasons, bags larger than a piece of A5 paper, which is about 8 inches by 6 inches, not very big, obviously. Mm. These bags couldn't be brought into the venue. So... It transpires huge queues gathered as people tried to argue this point, smuggle bags in, or have to stop, take stuff out of bags, and dump those bags outside the venue. So people paid up to, and I looked at the Prices of the tickets this week, n- no surprise really, up to a couple of hundred quid mm, yes, for a uh, ticket. No, not
0: famously not that inexpensive,
2: the Rolling Stones. Exactly, and, and missed half the gig. All of which leads me to ask, Jules, are people becoming more stupid than ever?
0: Well, I mean, so it is frustrating that if you're going to to, to you know to a gig, you'd think that people will prepare themselves. but But equally... If you're going to um, an outdoor stadium gig for example I can see why you might need to pack differently than you might do going to a sort of ordinary indoor gig so you might think oh I better take my cagoule, I might need to put that in a back- in a backpack you might want to take something to sit on. Um, I I do have, I have a bit of sympathy for people though and I do think it's a slightly unrealistic rule I mm-hmm. must admit I think the problem is slightly with the rule in the first place although I note from this evening standard, um, this evening standard article that the, the stadium spokesman said it was a tour-wide policy and had nothing to do with the venue so i have some sympathy for the venue who've had these kind of slightly odd draconian rules imposed on them by the rolling stones and then have had to deal with the aftermath when you know it wasn't their rule it was the rolling stones but having said that this stadium spokesman has said that um the tickets carried a warning and that had mm. also been emailed twice to buyers well, so actually they had been told mm. several times so so it's one of those things where you know I, it's a little from column a and a little from column b, b really i have some sympathy with uh, the fact that i think it was a slightly daft rule in the, in the in the first place and the outdoor stadium gigs i think carry a different vibe and a different the different requirements particularly given the famous british weather than uh, than ordinary indoor gigs ordinarily would do and that you might have to be a bit more stuff heavy to attend a, a stadium gig in british summer but having said that if it's been emailed out a couple of times and there's a warning on the ticket, I don't see what else they could have done really
2: i think we have to become ever more aware of the age in which we live i mentioned about six months ago it was i think last september going to the theater the very next day after the parsons green bombing in london mm. and only to find the very next day that find some daft person had left their rucksack unattended in the seat next to me while they oh. nonchalantly tootled oh. off oh, yes, to I the bar
4: story. Yeah, yeah, where,
2: where there were no staff around to report to either so it's absolutely appalling but increase Increasingly, people have lost all sense of how to be aware of others at gigs and other public places like that. Now, groups of friends will chatter all through a band set. Others will be clambering Mm. this way and that to go and get beers and hot dogs at Football Stadia. Tickets state that persistent standing will not be permitted, but thousands and thousands of people stand through the game blocking the view of children, shorter people, older people, disabled, all without a care. So, I don't know, maybe, actually, maybe we should bring the age of VR and holograms in right now. Yeah,
0: possibly. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is the most compelling argument I've heard yet for it, I'm afraid. So, so yeah, it, it is frustrating, mm. I think. I do find it annoying when people film at gigs continually. Um Although having said that I do then watch the videos on YouTube so that makes me a bit hypocrite. <laughs> but it's particularly annoying. I think we've we've recently or, or previously bemoaned people not just taking um taking uh, the iPhones into to, to film but entire iPads. I remember seeing oh, a lady yes. with an iPad fun I thought of the gig, but a a performance at my parents' village hall once and my <laughs> mum said that as the neighbour picked up an iPad and waved it, Mum said there was a frustrated little V of people behind this woman that oh, couldn't yes. couldn't see anything that was actually going on. So yeah, I think that people have always been selfish and that you know perhaps the perhaps the age in which we're living in which we interact less in person and more online means that we do lose some level of social skills and consideration for others in the process you know that 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 is a pity having said that though i think as well there needs to be There needs to be some sense in in sort of imposing restrictions in the first place. And yes, they did warn repeatedly on the tickets and the emails. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I'm not sure that was ever a realistic policy in the first place, given it was an outdoor gig.
2: Now, Jules, assuming... You're not trying to take huge backpacks into Rolling Stones gigs this week.
0: <laughs> not on this occasion. Although, can I just point out as I well was speaking to Rolling Stones, I was rather disparaging of them previously in the intro to that. But I bumped with some friends yesterday that went to see them in London um, on Friday evening, I think, and they said they were they were brilliant. They really enjoyed them. I mean, I I said to them I'd express some cynicism because having seen the Rolling Stones performance at Glastonbury on TV, mm. I didn't think it was it was very good at all. And they said no, it was a considerable improvement on that, and that they just played hit after hit. Although we were very ent- to 10 they said there were some people that turned up in voodoo lounge t-shirts from 1994 so so clearly they there was a it was a fans gig but no they said they played the hits and they played them well so actually you know good for them
2: yeah i'm, I'm glad you, you know anybody that goes to a gig has a good time that's what it's all yeah,
0: they, about they, they really enjoyed it they thought it was brilliant so that was really good
2: so where can we find you this week juliet lucy
0: well, we're, we're, we are th- thank you terence many names, mm. I am. Um, I, uh, well, we're recording this on Sunday, the 27th of May. Mm. Um, I'm DJing at the lovely eggs in Hastings, the scene in our band that are coming back to Hastings, which is great at the print works. Apparently it is very, very sold out. So, uh, so if you're, if, if you haven't bought a ticket, you probably won't be able to see me there, but I am DJing in the downstairs bar as well afterwards at the print works from 11 to 1am. So if you happen to listen to this and then can get to Hastings in time, then please do. Um, other than that, I am, I've just looked in my diary in there Various things, march trustee meetings, etc. So I, I'm not really out and about very much this week. But I will be doing uh, Indie Wonderland on uh, this this next coming Wednesday. So that is uh, Wednesday. It's in the bit of it's between May. Yeah, that's right. It's in the end of the lun- end, end of the month. It's like a hinterland for me, like between Christmas and New Year. I just get confused as to what days and what month. But yeah, uh, Wednesday the 30th of May. It's 10 p.m. barricadebreaker Indie alt rock and miscellaneous.
2: Thanks to you for listening
0: yes particularly to you yeah,
2: particularly now I don't know much about this artist that we're closing with uh, Jules but I when you told me about this track I played it earlier and I think it's really great so uh, I, I said to you earlier I'm going to explore more about uh, this particular chap
0: yeah this, this chap is great actually and I had to for and frankly disclose he is a friend of mine and I have actually recorded music with him previously but he's he's a man of many talents he's, he records as Bembo. he records music he also runs a record label called Pink Lizard um, which is Sort of dedicated to giving sort of unknown artists a chance really and uh, it's uh, you know i think he's an incredibly talented chap and he's really pleasant as well um he I, i've got a limited edition of the album that this came from that is literally 24 or 25 on a cdr written out by hand i think it's called a, it's it's a long road and i need someone to hold my hand i something not like know that but this song is, is available i think online to purchase and i do i think this is really lovely um this is Bembo, and this is if you feel emotional listening to a DACA media production.